Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench in Corks or Red FM with me, Valerie Wheeler. I'm with you until 7 o'clock tonight. We do have two very busy jam-packed shows for you this weekend. This evening and, of course, tomorrow evening on the Big Red Bench with Rory. But tonight, Ireland did secure third place in the Women's Six Nations campaign. We'll be chatting to, as always, our amazing correspondent, Fiona Hayes. She'll be joining us on the show very shortly to chat about Ireland's campaign. Oliver Dingley, he's Team Ireland athlete. He'll be on. We also have Peter Mahoney previewing the Rainbow Cup as the monster take on Lens for this evening Colin O'Sullivan had a busy week he caught up with Ronnie Whelan of course as always and Cork City's Mark McNulty after their tough night last night we have that and loads more to come on the Big Red Bench between now and 7 o'clock on Cork Start FM Welcome along to the show. The sun is shining. It is absolutely wonderful outside. And if that's not going to get you in a good mood, listening to an hour of sport will. So Ireland did secure a third place finish in the season's Women's Six Nations in association with Guinness today. Cleena Maloney, Dorothy Wall and Amy Lee Murphy-Crow scored tries in their 20 points to five win over, 25 points to five, sorry, win over Italy this afternoon. Um... It's absolutely wonderful. Stacey Flood also kicked five points to the host at Donnybrook's Energy Park. I was there last week. It was really nice. It was my first live game of the year. I was gutted I couldn't go today. But look, it's absolutely great and delighted they finished third. So joining us now live on the Big Red Bench is Fiona Hayes. Joining me on the Big Red Bench is, of course, as always, our amazing rugby correspondent, Fiona Hayes. Fiona, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. I wasn't an amazing player, but it's great to be called an amazing correspondent. (laughs) Will you stop being so modest? Fiona, look, another day. Thank God Ireland secured a third place finish in this season's Women's Six Nations. Um, It is in association with Guinness today. And do you know what? I think we needed that win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew the girls were going to come out today and and, uh, kind of be chomping at the bit, especially in the media this week there hasn't been um, you know great things about women's rugby and, and the underage set up and all that in Ireland so I knew they'd be focused as uh, as we know Adam Grigson there was, you didn't have any of the girls on media duty before the game obviously they were concentrating on hard in profile in Italy and you know what they came out today and they got away with the most first performance but main aim was to get that win and finish third and they certainly got that do you know how important was it that they got that place today and maybe ended on a high? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, they've been trying so hard 20 times before the season kicked off. You know, a lot of people don't understand um, what's going on in the players' lives. They've got their jobs, they're training before, the, before work, after work and all that. And what we see then out in the pitch is how we judge them, which is rightly so, but it's just... To get that win and finish third, I mean, we saw that they're kind of maybe a bit, and as are the other teams off the pace for the first two, England and France, but they definitely showed us that they're well capable of qualifying for this World Cup in New Zealand, which would have been the main aim of that. I think over the last week or so, I think, you know what, women's rugby has been in the limelight and rightly so, but now more so than ever, we're looking at maybe the difference between the top teams and the bottom teams. And I think for a lot of people, they're kind of getting frustrated at the talk, Fiona, you yourself, you know, you played the game. You're probably happy to see people talking about it, but are you frustrated with people saying, oh, you know, oh, the the pros against the semi-pros and amateurs? I mean... You know, I think, I personally think that 
these players like Ireland they're training professionally they have the best you know they I think them themselves everyone would love to be professional but they are they are trying their best Fiona Absolutely, and, and you know what? As as as, as females train him, I actually think it's great that people are coming out and criticising performances as well. We do that with the men's team. You know, if you want the media, you want to be able to take that criticism and you know look at your game and move on. So I actually think it's a positive thing. And the whole semi pro, fully professional, all that that conversation is good. But the players need to really not get involved in that. There's nothing they can do about it right now, and they are training to the best of their ability. So I suppose from a few years ago when I was playing, we would have we would have finished maybe um, fourth in the World Cup. We won it. We won a couple of um, we won a couple of Six Nations. So it's very hard. The last one being in 2015, I suppose it's very hard for fans to to not understand um, why women's rugby in Ireland has then gone to where we're not up with the likes of France and England, whereas we were at that time. But it is that it's that semi professional, that fully professional talk. But that's all going to hopefully be looked at in the next couple of years and you know it is a, it's got to be a focus if we want to keep up with the with the top two but from a player perspective you know they're just focusing on each game they would have gone into that France game a little bit confident um, after their big Welsh win which is really so but I think them themselves not knowing having played France in a long time they kind of I suppose they, they the buzzword around it was a reality check and they themselves knew that they weren't physically and probably mentally up to what France were in that game so it's something they have to go back and look at is it a semi-pro professional thing it probably is but as I said the players are just going to be concentrating on what they can do and what they can bring and they probably wouldn't have been happy with their performance against France and they had a big win against Italy but they look back at that again today and I think maybe after 70 minutes Ireland had maybe 15 handling errors which isn't good enough either so there, there is stuff they can look at and fix and all the other stuff is outside of that really how much pressure do you think the IRFU will be on now after this? Everyone's talking about it, you know. Would you think they'll be under a bit of pressure? Um, I'm not sure about pressure. I mean, they, you know, the guards went out and won it today. At the end of the day, it's kind of, it's a, it's a money-making, it's a, it's a business. So the IRFU are going to be looking at Right now, women's rugby probably isn't uh, making money for the IRFU. Um, so they have to look whether they think the long-term investment in women's rugby is, is going to return and make them some money in the future. And, you know, women's game in Ireland is very, very important. But I'm not sure if, if they'll be under pressure. I suppose it's good people are talking. They they have reviewed the Ariel game in the, in the past, but it's now about, you know, looking at that and actually doing something about it from the top level. And I really, really hope, being involved in the Ariel and Munster setup, I really, really hope that we can keep on producing stars and really good players that will be able to take that step up and that there's something then after there in Ireland. Yeah, but I mean, Fiona, you were part, we only spoke to you a couple of weeks or maybe months ago at this stage about being involved in developing this under-20 programme. Yeah, exactly. It was an under-20 programme. I mean, it wasn't set up as an Irish team. It was just something myself and some fellow interna- ex-internationals saw a gap and Rugby Academy Ireland kindly said that they'd love to, to support us in that. So I just wanted to get out there. I mean, I'm the same at once. I love coaching. I love passing on my knowledge. And I know there's so many experts who would say, so we just wanted to get out there and, and you know, do the best that we can with, with that under-20 team. There is a gap there. Whether the RSU are going to fill that in the future, I hope so. But from our perspective, it was just, it was about getting people to stay on after that 18 um, age group. And you must enjoy the game. That's the most important thing to me. Playing with a little smile on your face. 
Let's talk about the players now. Who for you really stood out in this campaign? Um, I suppose there's been a few, I mean, big talk about around Dorothy Wall um, yeah. had an excellent campaign. Yeah. People might have questioned, you know, she was so young going into the, the, the start, team at the start of this and now she's probably the first name you'd be putting in the, the team sheet. She's absolutely outstanding physically, dominant, kind of um, the game passed her boy in France, but I just don't think Ireland got her the ball enough to make those big carries. So she's someone that really, really stood out. I thought today... Stacey Flood was absolutely outstanding at 10. Mm. She played right flash on the gain line. I think that's where an Irish team needs to be playing. We can, we can sweep it in the back and play that kind of behind the back sometimes. But uh, I just find on the gain line, our big pack are carrying those forwards to create space then for, for the backs out wide. So she definitely stood up and put her hand be counted today. And I suppose the, the player everyone's talking about is, is young baby. She was absolutely outstanding as well. Couldn't get her... Once she had an absolutely amazing game against Wales, I think they might have Target on her back. She had a target on her back. Exactly. So we didn't see her as much. But that then gave space for Amy Lee Murphy today to, 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 to score a couple of tries. And once she gets going, there's no one going to stop her. So there's so much potential there. It's about telling now together and seeing if we can take that step up. And I suppose qualifying for the World Cup is number one priority right now. Yeah, it sure is. And I know we've had an amazing few weeks and the campaign on its own, Fiona, it's just been great. I've been so excited every weekend to watch the games. I feel like I'm going to be lost without it now after this weekend. <laughs> I know, I know. It's been great just looking at the telly and watching even RT today putting on the France England match. I mean, it was just, it's it's great to see William Toby on the team. I thought two very physical teams there today. England's running out winners in the end. Unfortunately, I think we're all going for France. But, but look, <laughs> it's just it's just amazing to see rugby on the telly and standing on its own. I suppose the focus was on women's rugby. And although at times it wasn't pretty, there's definitely been some lovely rugby played it. Yeah, it really has. It's been a great few weeks for women's sport in general. I mean, even if you turn on the television today, there's gym- gymnastics, there's swimming, there was women's rugby. I mean, it's just been such a nice few weeks for women's sport and a long mate last, Fiona. That's it. Lovely to see you. I mean, we, we all enjoy sport of any type, but it's getting that visibility of the of the females in the media out there and it's, there, it's certainly happening right now and hopefully it will continue in the future. Fiona, it was great as always to have you on the show. Thanks a million. And you're all better, Valerie. Mind yourself now. You too, bye. All right, Fiona Hayes chatting to me just there after Ireland finishing third in this year's Guinness Six Nations. It's absolutely great to see them all on television. Fair play to Artie. We're able to catch up with them as well. Um, it's been absolutely wonderful. And as I said, along with me, the coverage of women's sport last. Now, I did catch up last week with Irish athlete um, Oliver Dingley. It was following the launch of the Olympic Federation of Ireland's new Olympic Schools Challenge, Road to Tokyo. A very interesting character. I'm really looking forward to hearing this chat. So let's take a listen. Oliver, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. How have you been keeping? I've been very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been a, a difficult and uh, a, a strange period, if anything, but one that I've kind of kept going, kept very motivated and just looking forward to kind of going one week at a time. Good. You you were great because you've really put a positive spin on the Olympics being on hold, which is, it's not an easy thing to do for an athlete. Ah, I mean, it's, it's the same for everyone. Everyone's kind of been thrown into the, into the same boat and been dealt the same cards. So really... If one thing we've become accustomed to this whole year is kind of waiting and changing and adapting to everything around us. So really, it's just felt like an extension on onto that. And it so happens that, you know, 
I get to die throughout it at all as well. So I have a bit of normality in my life. If anything, it's been, it's been a great help. I must compliment you on your setup. I mean, you'd know you're in in this uh, radio business, the microphone, the headphones, the quality of the interview. This is you. This is your down to your course, of course. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a student at TU Dublin and I actually specialize in radio. And I managed to at the start of lockdown now a few uh, good good pieces of equipment, some good mics. So, uh, yeah, and I'm yeah pretty jammy when it comes to having all the good equipment. How are you? How did you find the course? Oh, it's great. Thank you. It's a nice balance. I, I found since going to college, my diving's actually got better as well. Uh, I started college in September 2017. Now, when, when I was 18 and I left secondary school, I never had any intention of ever going back to any form of uh, education. Uh, but I found myself kind of missing something in 2017. And that was kind of just, you know, being around people in a classroom setting and speaking to people who were kind of had similar interests. So I enrolled in college and started something I never thought I'd actually ever do. And I absolutely love it. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, the class is great. The lectures are great. And the course as well. I've learned so much through it. And it's yeah, really, really good fun. And it balances the diving quite nicely. And is radio something you'd like to get into? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to get into producing. That'd be fantastic. Oh. Would, would be great. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm cut out for, for being a presenter. Uh, you have uh, a lovely radio voice. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I would love to. Uh, currently, I'm making up a few radio documentaries for my final year at college as well. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And it, you know, it's kept me uh, entertained and take my mind off the diving, especially as the, the Olympic trials come. Yeah, no. And I've just always wondered before and to let everyone here in Cork's Red FM know a bit more about you. Can you tell us maybe like I've always wondered how you were introduced to diving? It's not exactly something that everyone, (laughs) you know, is put in front of them. But tell us maybe how it first came about for you. No, it's one of those obscure sports that only really pop up every four years, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, I uh, was actually just a wild child growing up I used to launch myself off anything so that diving was the, the natural progression I guess uh, now I was actually grounded at the time I must have done something wrong and, uh, and I had to go watch my brother's swimming lesson and luckily my dad was just as bored as me watching it and the diving pool was open so we went for a dive uh, it was open to the general public the lifeguard said that I, he thought that, he, that it looked like I, I had a great time I had a I was having a fantastic time and so I started for my seventh birthday and uh, it was a sport that I just, yeah, instantly clicked with, always into all my, all my sports. But diving was the one, kind of about five o'clock each day, I'd go to like this bubble where I found myself excelling. And uh, yeah, it, it was great. And, and, and it's, uh, it's been a big part of my life ever since, 21 years now in the, in the sports. So I'm, yeah, feeling my age, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a great, it's a great sport. Um, I mean, the demands with and the skills with diving off the board, you know, it's not exactly you're not doing a belly flop into it like the rest of us. <laughs> you are actually, yeah, <laughs> for years, you've built up this amazing skill now to nail it every time, which is, you know, it's absolutely outstanding. Yeah, well, half the time I feel like I'm just throwing and holding on for my life and uh, and then going through the water, hopefully with no splash. Uh, but no, it's it's a great sport. It's one of those sports that's it's a real good spectacle. I think uh, you know it's it's kind of ballet slash gymnastics in the air. It's got that daredevil factor about it. If it goes wrong, you know it's a nightmare for us, but it's hilarious for everyone else. Our biggest fear is ending up on a YouTube blooper tape for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it also it's just such an amazing sport to watch, and it does capture people's imagination when they do watch it. And you know, I'm very lucky that I've been a part of that now for yeah twenty years. 
who did you first watch maybe that you were like, oh my God, that could be me. Who do you remember watching maybe in the Olympics or down through the years when you were younger? Ooh, see, my first real sporting memory was actually uh, of 2002 Football World Cup. So not an Olympic one, but uh, 2002 World Cup. Now there's a guy called Andy O'Brien who represented Ireland at those World Cup, at that World Cup, sorry. And he was actually from the t- same town as me in the UK where I grew up. And he went to the same secondary school as well. So uh, I was a big fan of his and watching him at the World Cup was kind of my very first ever, you know, wow moment. I actually got to meet him once as well. He wouldn't have a clue who I am. But to me, he was, you know, absolutely amazing. Uh, but my first kind of Olympic memory would have been Athens, uh, 2004. And, you know, those divers, you know, back when you're, you're young and you're looking up to people, uh, you know, they 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 look fantastic. And I eventually found myself competing against some of them. And even in Rio 2016, I got to compete against some of those people who I watched in Athens 2004. So Amazing. yeah, absolutely great to then get to dive against kind of my idols and, you know, not just dive against them, but also do pretty well against them as well. I know over the last year, you probably, you know, there's not been much competitions and you haven't had the chance maybe to dive in front of a crowd and all that has really changed for you. But how do you find the pressure of standing there, you know, the silence, but it is still is everyone still watching you? I mean, is that a lot of pressure? I can't imagine what that's like. And you're like, OK, I just need to nail my routine now. And all these people are there. <laughs> yeah, you can hear a pin drop and it gets very, very intense. Uh, it can feel a very, very lonely place standing around a diving board, especially one that can shoot you off in any direction as well. So it's kind of bringing that heartbeat down, kind of trying to trying to tra- channel in that uh, that kind of fixed vision, just kind of tunnel vision, looking down at the board and ignoring this kind of this arena around you, which can sometimes be absolutely huge. There's other times where I've dived and literally there's just one person in the crowd just giving a the odd clap. You can hear it echoing around the building, but sometimes, you you know, like the Olympic Games, you'll be there in front of a, a crowd of 8,000 people in the arena itself. So it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And you know what? I don't really know how I get through it now. I look back at it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel there. I'm kind of still talking all about that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I sometimes, yeah, it's one of those things where I stand there and I, uh, and I kind of count myself in and I go one, two, three, go. And I haven't gone. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> one, two, screw it, go. And just just, just hope and just walk down the diving board. And, you know, it's all about putting those little processes into place. Diving, anything can happen in a split second. And those split seconds really, really count. A dive lasts for about two seconds. So those small minor details, a split second, if you're too late going into a shape or coming out of a shape, your head might be down, then that's the whole dive over. And that's a medal gone. That's an Olympic place gone, for example. So it's, you know, there's a lot of pressure riding on those um, little small details, but that also makes it very fun because, I mean, going back to 2016, the Olympic champion from 2012, he finished in 18th place, the world champion from 2015. He didn't even make the semifinal. So it's one of those sports that, you know, for those who are on their day, you can do something special. And that's what makes diving so great, I think. It's absolutely amazing. I know that like down to the year, you know, you've been extremely honest about how you felt during tough times within the anxiety and stuff. And I think it's amazing for you to speak out because a lot of people might have found help from something like that. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, I've never seen my, my, myself as being able to help anyone. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a weird one because I mean, I can stand on a diving board sometimes, but then yeah, going into a shopping centre 
uh, sometimes the anxiety can get the better of me. And, I, and I've found that throughout the years. Uh, but it's something actually the lockdowns have really taught me is to kind of to be kind to yourself. Mm. Especially I've reached out to, to people who I wouldn't necessarily have reached out to because I've had, well, everyone's had a lot of extra time on their hands. So I've reached out to old school friends and yeah, really kind of taught myself to kind of, you know, be easy on myself and communicate with people. And uh, I always think with communication, especially, you know, they, somebody can make your day or you can make somebody else's day and you don't know it uh, just by talking. So it's, uh, yeah, over the years, it's definitely been a process. And one that college has helped me with uh, going into college, 2017 was a real hard time for me. And you know, I was really kind of diving in at the deep end, uh, pardon the pun there. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, diving in at the deep end. And kind of, I remember my early days at college, kind of in the classroom and just walking straight out of the classroom and just going straight to my car and sitting there just kind of the anxiety kind of found it a bit overwhelming. So yeah, it's something that I've overcome. Uh, still got to be something that I maintain. Uh, you can never get too complacent with things. Same with diving as well. And kind of those small steps. So really with this whole last year, I've kind of been taking everything kind of just one week at a time, sometimes even a day at a time. And uh, yeah, and I found that's helped out throughout my whole life and not just diving. Brilliant. Communication is key and it is great. Um, but look, next month, there is some competitions on the horizon, Oliver, oh and it's it's amazing. Finally, I think it's been, a, is it been over a year since you've lasted a competition? Was it February 20? About a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, if that serves me right. Yeah, February, which will nearly be a year and a half. And you know what? They're actually coming thick and fast now because mm. I have the Olympic trials and then I have the European Championships a few days afterwards. Uh, COVID permitted, I guess. Uh, kind of everything at the moment does change and evolve on a weekly basis. So hopefully we will be there at the trials and uh, the, the European Championships are in Budapest. So uh, I think we'll be flying back to Ireland for all of about an hour and then catching a plane to Budapest. So, uh, you know, what? I really just can't wait to actually get out of Blanchestown, really. I haven't <laughs> seen anywhere further than the National Sports Campus. So it'll be quite nice to uh, just go a bit further afield and uh, be somewhere else. Of course I will. You've been there, you know what the process is like for the qualifications, but can you maybe maybe give us into, into some insight into it? Yeah, the qualifying process actually is one I'll never forget, especially for Rio 2016. Yeah. It was my very first ever world event uh, and it so happened to be the Olympic qualifiers, which in, in diving it's called the World Cup. And I tell you what, it's far more stressful than the actual Olympic Games. Uh, the World Cup, you have about 70 divers in my event and only the top 18 get guaranteed a spot at the Olympics. So you have to make top 18. And if you miss one dive, then you're out. So it's, it's very, very cutthroat. And for those who get to qualify for the Olympics, it's the most amazing day. But for those who don't, it's, 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 for me, I found it very bittersweet because I got to qualify which is a lifelong ambition, dream achieved, and some of my friends didn't. So it was, uh, yeah, hard, but at the same time, that's elite sport as well. And I hope to be on the right side of that again, going into these Olympic Games. And so the immediate uh, focus is really just qualifying. And I take it one dive at a time, and I find that helps because if I uh, if I do a bad dive, I then kind of can, I've, I've learned to park it to one side if a dive, if I've done a really good dive, it's also about parking that to one side as well, and then just purely focusing on the next dive. Six dives, and then I'm going to the Olympic Games, and uh, you know that's the stuff where, where where you can have the most amazing memories and opportunities. And going back to 2016, oh, fabulous three weeks! I had the time of my life. 
really kind of getting involved in the Olympic spirit. I was an individual athlete there, so I didn't have any teammates. So really, I just spent most of the time in the free food hall chatting to anyone who would listen <laughs> and going out to as many events as possible. Uh, and so, yeah, from what I remember, it was absolutely fantastic. And I, and I hope to create a few more of those kind of memories as well. You've had a taste, but now to see that's what's wrong, Oliver, you've got the taste in Rio. So you're like, you need to be there in Tokyo, I feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, well, the Olympic Games is what we all train for. And, and even if I don't qualify, uh, which I certainly hope I do qualify, you know, it's uh, uh, it won't be the end of the road there. There's uh, one thing that I've kind of learned over the last few years is there's much more to sports as well, kind of with my uh, college course and and everything else. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It, going in a really kind of positive headspace and physically fit as well so yeah really 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 uh, optimistic great we're very excited so when is the first dive when is the first competition what date are we looking at so oh, keep an eye on you you're testing me there okay uh so i think may. the competition runs yeah it's early may and it goes from the first to the fifth i think of may and my event is towards the end of that and we also i also have three teammates uh, three fantastic ladies on the team who, if one of them qualifies, they'll be the first ever female Irish Olympic diver, which would just, oh, it'd be fantastic to be a part of that team. And, uh, you know, I could see more than just one of them qualifying. I could see the whole team qualifying as well. So fingers crossed. Amazing. Fingers crossed for you, right? But you did join us today because the Olympic Federation of Ireland and FBD has joined together about the Olympic Schools Challenge, the Road to Tokyo. We nearly forgot about this because we were so much chatting about <laughs> your diving. But it's an amazing initiative. And I mean, something like this would have been class for when I was young, for when you were younger in school. Yeah. I mean, looking back at technology, how far it's come. And I remember we didn't really have a computer in our primary school. And uh, Nowadays, with everything being online, the kids, you know, the world is your oyster. It's a small world these days. And and because of that, you can have these fantastic initiatives. And so for this initiative, it's about getting school kids active, involved, and also learning about the history of the Olympic Games and also coming on our own journeys as well, joining us as we aim to get medals at, at, at Tokyo. So it's a yeah, fantastic initiative uh, I've had great fun being a part of it and kind of thinking up different exercises for kids to try and and you know there's been a few other great athletes involved as well so I'm really looking forward to seeing the end product I've seen a few little promo videos and everything so it's, yeah it's all very, very exciting it's making the Olympics feel very very real all of a sudden being involved in stuff like that and uh, you know it's, it's a great initiative which uh a gets people involved, B gets people active and C, you know, it's great to have them on our journey as well. Well, look, it's been absolutely amazing chatting to you. You're so lovely and I can't wait to see how you get on over the next couple of weeks. We'll be keeping a close eye on your journey and your road to Tokyo. All right, Oliver? Oh, thank you very much. I feel like you're going to be hot on my heels for my radio job as well. By- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. Oliver Dingley there. What a gent. What a really, really nice guy. And, you know, he's so right with diving. It's not often spoken about. So I got really, really loved chatting to Oliver about that and learning about new sports and things and learning about how they qualify as well, which is also great. Now, we're going to change our tune a small bit and have a look at some soccer, right? It was another disappointing night for Cork City FC last night as their poor start to the season continued. Uh, 2-1 defeat to Treaty United in Limerick. Colin O'Sullivan was busy and he caught up with goalkeeper Mark McNulty. 
Unfortunately, defeat for Cork City again on the road last night up in Limerick against Treaty going down 2-1. Mark McNulty, Cork City goalkeeper, joins me. And Mark, um, a disappointing result and it's turning into a, a bit of a run of losses now at this stage, isn't it? Hey, Colin Hortings. Yeah, um, yeah. listen, it's obviously very tough at the minute to take, you know, um, four defeats in a row. It's, it's not good, but I suppose... Um, like I suppose the thing I keep going back to is um, we had eight players last night that are at the age of 19 to 21 years of age only all kids a lot of them kind of their first main season I suppose in, in men's football um, and listen for me coming into the season I thought this was the way it's going to be you know you're going to win some you're going to lose some I think maybe some people thought we were going to be fighting for honor, fighting for trophies this year but for me I think it, this is a season where we're just betting players in and you know, hopefully, hopefully give a lot of the young players experience and maybe push on next year. But um, listen, there's no point in getting away from it. Four defeats in a row is just not good enough for us. And uh, all the players know that. You know, um, Colin and Cotsby Fair have been on to the players. They're trying to pick the players up again today in training. You know, it's it's obviously tough. It's never uh, never nice when, you, when you're losing games. But listen, it's a learning call for a lot of young players. And uh, listen, these kind of things can only benefit players for down the line, hopefully for Cork City. Looking at last night's game, Treaty, they're a brand new club, but they're picking up results um, all season. I mean, again, winning against Cork City last night. And, like, they, they they took the lead. City got back into it. He got back into it. Treaty went on to win the game in the end. But they were certainly a side who, who were really up for it last night, weren't they? Yeah, and you know what? Like it's, like it's like even what we're saying inside the training ground. Like, every game we've played so far this season that we've lost, after the game you see the, the teams we've been played, they're celebrating as if they'd won a league. You know, for, yeah, for I, I noticed that, that with Athlone as well. Athlone were celebrating like mad down in Cork, but it, it's a big thing for these clubs to beat Cork City, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Like at the end of the day, Cork City, they know Cork City over the last 5, 10, 15 years of being successful, up winning trophies, playing in Europe. And, you know, then obviously they're looking at the name brand Cork City and not so much the players have changed a lot since 2017 to now, you know. So for any, any club like that playing Cork City, they raise their game massively and. You know, I've noticed it from looking at other games against, like when Atlone are playing other games, they don't seem to have the same intensity. Mm. And but against us, for whatever reason, like you said, maybe it's just the name Cork City that everyone is up in their game against us. And you know, at the minute we're finding it tough. Um, but listen, at the end of the day, you're playing Cork City football club. Why wouldn't players be up for it in the opposition teams? You know, so it's it's tough. It's tough for the lads. Tough for the younger players, especially. Like I said, there's so many of them in there, and you know, I suppose all these games just experience from and I know some, some Cork City fans will be disappointed the way things are going Like, but the club are in transition they've gone from being so successful for so long and it's just the way things go you know it goes and roundabouts and unfortunately we're at the other end of it now and like I keep saying there's so many young lads it's, it's going to take time it's, it's frustrating but I suppose it is what it is Is it tough for you I suppose Mark being a player who only three or four years ago was winning league titles and cups and so on with Cork City um, I suppose there's only the likes of yourself and Garrett Morrissey and Beats and so on who are there now from that squad but is it tough for you guys to kind of translate across to the younger lads what it actually means to be playing for City and and what's expected I suppose um, from players by the supporters and things especially especially when the supporters aren't at the games at the moment is it up to you guys to kind of say lads you're playing for Cork City you have to up your game you have to have to try and fight for this yeah, you know, like I suppose at the start I was thinking, you know, with no supporters in the ground, maybe you will help the younger lads, you know, settle in and get used to it without the crowd, two and a half, three thousand people there. But right now I think what the young players need is actually a crowd back in Turner's Cross and, you know, giving us that 
that bit extra when you get back to one all or if you go one down, you know, to to drive you on more. And you know, it's like you said, is it is it is it tough? Yes, it is. Like especially like you said, it was only three years ago we're winning doubles. Now all of a sudden we're in this predicament where we're losing games and it's just turns into a habit. And it's we've got to get out of that habit as soon as we can. It's it's uh, it's t- it's tough. Is it is it nice? No, not at all. Like to be fair, throughout my career, I've never really been used to losing. I've always been in, in very, very good Cork City teams and it's a new thing for me, you know, losing like this over the last season and a half and it's frustrating, yes, but listen, I suppose myself, Beats, Garrod, we're experienced players, Keen Coleman, you know, we're experienced mm-hmm. players and you know, I'm training every day, we're, we're talking to the younger lads, trying to get them to realise Cork City is such a massive club and they should be privileged to be playing for Cork City Football Club and, you know, maybe we just need to just keep drilling that into them that, how big of a club Cork City is and when you wear that jersey it's it's a huge honour for you your family your city everything you know so it's tough I think when the fans do get back in I think people will realise it more but you know I think maybe people don't realise it when the fans aren't in maybe it's just like a, a normal Sunday league game or whatever you know but um, it's tough it's tough but listen it is what it is as I said earlier we'll turn it around no doubt yeah, just finally, Mark, obviously the table doesn't make pretty reading today. Now, after last night's result, Cork City second bottom in the first division. It's not somewhere anyone would expect Cork City to be. But then at the same time, when you look at it, we're five games in only and still only three points off the playoff spot. So there's a hell of a lot to play for in a long season ahead, really. And certainly with the first division, I mean, even finishing fifth will get you into the playoffs. So there's there's a huge amount for so many teams to play for there, isn't there? Yeah, listen, when you look through our team, we have, we have a good side. We have a great side, to be honest. Any teams we've played so far this season, I think the football-wise, we've been the best team so far from what I've seen in this league playing football. We just need to turn playing good football into getting goals and getting results. Um, I think we will turn a corner. It might take might take another game, might take four games, five games. I don't know what it's going to take, but I think we will turn that corner. And like you said, because it's so congested in the, the middle of the table or, you know, like you said, three points off a playoff position, I think you just pick up a win and then all of a sudden you pick up two wins and before you know it, your fourth, fifth, third, whatever it is, and you're right back in it. And, you know, the mood changes from, oh, Cork City are struggling big time to win three or four games, and all of a sudden, oh, Cork City are back, they have a chance of getting promoted here. And that's how quickly it will change, especially in the first division this year, that's how quickly it's going to change. So, listen, we just got to keep our heads down. We've got uh, Bray Friday night now, and it's going to be a tough game. Bray are a good side of a lot of uh, Premier Division players in their side, experienced players. And uh, it's going to be a tough game, but listen, no better place to go and, and, and pick up your second uh, win of the season up in up in the Carlisle grounds against a very good, strong British side. Fingers crossed. Second win of the season. Back to winning ways, hopefully, on Friday night for Cork City. Mark McNulty, Cork City goalkeeper. Thanks a million, as always, for joining us, Mark. No problem, Colm. Cheers for that, bud. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Welcome back to The Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7 o'clock. Now, Colm O'Sullivan also has been busy speaking to Ronnie Whelan about this weekend's football in the Premier League and also the European Super League controversy. Will we ever hear the end of it? Ronnie, we're going to start by talking about possibly one of the worst ideas ever in football this week. And it definitely got one of the worst reactions ever in football. The European Super League, what did you make of it? Um, it just smacked the grease straight away, didn't it? Um, everybody wants to make more money out of it. It's not like they're not making money at the moment. Um, ever since we became the Premiership in England, it's just been money, 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 Sky Sports, and you've got to pay, everybody's got to pay. Um, well, the fans mainly are getting stuck with all the payments that they've got to make. Um, and everybody showed that they did not want it. I, I, 
I still think there must be a reason why they all went along with it because they must have known the backlash that was going to happen to them all. Um, but then again, you still see Barcelona, Real Madrid saying it's for them, it's not dead and buried yet. But all the English clubs have pulled out, and rightly so. Um, the supporters all got together and made it happen, to be fair. Liverpool were one of the clubs involved, uh, your club, Ronnie, and they were very, very much against this in terms of the fans. And even Jordan Henderson and the players came out then on Monday night very much against it as well. Klopp was against it as well. Um, as a man who's captain Liverpool himself, um, would that be the kind of reaction you would have expected as soon as you heard about it? Did you know that on Merseyside they would greet it with a reaction like that? I think it was um, it was a funny one that all the players, well, you know, Klopp said we haven't been informed. The players were going, well, we know nothing about it. And then um, you would have thought players, first and foremost, and the manager would have been informed. We're going to go in for this European Super League. Um, what do you think? And I'm sure they have all would have went the way they did go and gone, well, no, we're not really for it. We... Um, but it did take away all the, the what we've been used to over the years, didn't it? Like mm. competition, getting a top four or get to a final. It just seemed these major clubs were just going to play games every year just to rake in money, money, money. It looked like they were going to go all around the world, Japan and Azerbaijan and play all these games. Um, it would have made an awful lot of money for them all. But I feel... Um, it's probably in as well because of COVID, what's happened, the pandemic over the last, they've all said they've lost millions and millions. Probably a lot of that was in their thinking, but they got it completely wrong. Absolutely. And I mean, do you think this is the end of it now? We had John Henry, the Liverpool owner, and the Glazers were coming out making apologies during the week. But do you think in the background, they're kind of thinking, right, we'll try and sneak this in under the radar some other way in a year's time or two years time. Do you think that the reaction will have put them off permanently? Or do you think that this is the way it's going to go ultimately? Um, Come, I think this has been going going right back to the start of the Premiership 92. You know, they've all been looking at ways to get more and more and more and more money. They look into Europe. They've talked about having this Super League in Europe and putting all the top teams from each country into a league and playing that. Um, I don't think it'll go away. I think they'll try another way to see which way they can get round or how to appease the fans, players. Um, No, I don't think it's going to go away. They'll, They'll look to do something else. And just finally, before we move on to the football over the weekend, there's been talk now and there's different opinions and debates whether or not the clubs involved who were threatening to break away from the Premier League, break away from the Champions League, should they be punished? Should they have a points deduction? Should they have a fine? Some people are saying that's unfair because it hits the players and it hits the fans. But how do you hit the owners without affecting them as well? It just should have nothing to do. Don't do anything to players or managers or supporters. Um, If you want to do anything, it's got to be the owners. I don't think they will. I don't think they'll get fined anything. I don't think they'll get deducted points. I think it'll be said, okay, we tried to do it. Um, We now know it's wrong. Let's get on with it. I don't think anything will happen to anybody. Big weekend of football then, Ronnie. Wolves and Burnley is the early game on Sunday. Um, it's, It's a kind of a game, again, Burnley, they should be safe down there. Wolves have nothing to play for either way at this stage of the season, really. So how do you see that game going? We, we talked about it last week, didn't we? Teams like Burnley who have really nothing to play for and everybody's saying, oh, you get up in the league, you get more money. Players don't think about that. Players now want players like Burnley players and teams in that sort of ilk that are near the bottom but not going down and not going into Europe or anything. They want to get on the beach somewhere. Um, they just want to see the season out. Um, so I think Wolves, um, have, with their manager, because of their manager, will go out and, um, and I think they'll beat Burnley. 
And then you've got Leeds and Man U, old rivals on uh, Sunday as well. Big, big game. Leeds have been doing pretty well the last couple of weeks. They got that win over Man City. They got the draw against Liverpool the other night. So they've had two really good results in the last couple of weeks. Man U are coming into it, obviously, um, doing pretty well. But on the back of their own... Um, on the back of their own issues as well then with um, the Super League and so on Ronnie I mean it was a, a tough couple of weeks for Man U in terms of the, the controversy with the Super League all week do you think they can put that behind them there's more talk of protests against the Glazers and so on this week will that affect the players on the pitch or will they be fully focused on the Leeds game no I don't think I, I think once it all happened players heard about it and were wondering what's going on players forget about it pretty much there's nothing they can do about it really um, I'm sure Man United players will just say well I don't know they, they've talked to fans haven't they they've tried to um, they've tried to lessen the blow to the fans and said we're all okay but Man United are doing doing really really well um, Leeds are a good side I, the second half against Liverpool they really really got at Liverpool I, I, I just can't see either of them winning the game because of the way they play so um, I, I remember all the great time back in the 60s and 70s Leeds and Man United was a huge game and this season again, it's it's a it's a big big game, but I think it'll end up in a draw. Villa and West Brom then is the other one, another Midlands derby on um, Sunday as well, the Sunday evening game. Villa again, our team that have been kind of picking up nice results here and there all season. West Brom, you'd imagine they're relegated at this stage. You can't see them probably staying up. Do you think that they that they could still pull off a miracle and stay up, or do you think they're gone at this stage? West Brom, how do you think this one will go, Ronnie? I don't see the miracle happening for West Brom. Um, the only thing that would put me off Villa is that Grealish is still not back. This injury seems to be dragging on for a long time, but I still think, watched Villa a few times lately, I still think they'll have enough to be able to go out and win this game. Villa and West Brom then is the other one, another Midlands derby on um, Sunday as well, the Sunday evening game. Villa, again, our team that have been kind of picking up nice results here and there all season. West Brom, you'd imagine they're relegated at this stage. You can't see them probably staying up. Do you think that they, that they could still pull off a miracle and stay up? Or do you think they're gone at this stage, West Brom? How do you think this one will go, Ronnie? They need to win. They need to keep winning games. But the way they're going at the moment, I talked a few weeks ago saying they look tired and they might not be able to carry it on, but they've had this, like, re-energised from somewhere. Um, and they're going really, really well again. So I, I, I fancy Leicester to, to win that one. One other big game on Sunday, Ronnie, away from the Premier League is the uh, the Cup Final in Wembley, the Carabao Cup Final. Man City and Spurs. Now, it's a strange one because Jose Mourinho would have been hoping to win his first tro- trophy as Spurs manager and to sack a manager on the week of a Cup Final is a very, very strange thing for any club to do as well. What did you make of them sacking Mourinho on Monday? Um, it was a funny time, wasn't it? I, I, I don't know. I, I thought the writing was on the wall. It was just how they did it, wasn't it? That It just mm. came completely out of the blue. They were in the cup final. It would have been, if they won the cup final with Mourinho there, it would have been very, very difficult to get rid of them after that. So I think they took the decision. So it lessened the blow. There was a lot of Tottenham fans didn't want him there anyway. Yeah. You know, you hear a couple of players now saying he was great. They say that when he leaves, like Harry Kane and Son and these people, but when he's there, they, you know, they don't know. But uh, they, they, I think they got rid of him because in case he won the cup final, they wouldn't have been able to get rid of him then. But I think City in this cup final, um, Tottenham are scratching away. Bale has been put back in the team, which I think helps. Um, Kane might not play. So for me, Man City's... 
All right, that is Colin Sullivan chatting to Ronnie Whelan about this weekend's football. Uh, Chelsea lead West Ham 1-0 at halftime in their Premier League game just a few months ago. Joe Rawson is at London Stadium. Let's take a listen. Half time, West Ham United nil, Chelsea won. Chelsea deservedly in front through Timo Werner's first goal in 11 games. The German finding the back of the nets right at the end of the first half. He tapped in from inside the penalty area after he was found by Ben Chilwell unmarked in the West Ham box. The goal actually came during West Ham's best spell of the game. Socek forcing a block from Cesar Azpilicueta almost on his own goal line. VAR checked for a handball, but it wasn't given. Mason Mount, Werner and Pulisic have all forced saves from Lucas Fabianski. Chelsea in front at the break. West Ham United nil, Chelsea won. Alright, thanks Joe. We're going to turn our attention out to some rugby and Munster take on Leinster in the Rainbow Cup at the RDS this evening. This is what Peter O'Mahony had to say about the game in this week's pre-match press conference. Let's take a listen. Yeah, look, we, we've put a lot of emphasis on our on our attacking game, and and we've done a lot of work with Steve, obviously on on uh, on different bits here and there, and uh, it, it it certainly takes a bit of time, but I think we're we're we've 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 progressed hugely in that area. Um, I think the forwards particularly have worked very hard on it. Um, you know, the, you know the backs do what they do, but we've we've spent a lot of time as a forward group. Um, you know, putting time into our skill set, as you said, and, and I think it's, uh, it's certainly starting to stand to us. Uh, did you find the challenge of uh, coming back straight after the Six Nations, straight back into the kind of the, the, the Pro 14 kind of Munster mindset after being with Ireland? Was that something of a challenge for the group as a whole? And I understand you were with Munster for a bit during the during the Six Nations, but was that a challenge for the group as a whole uh, to get that cohesion going from one group coming back to another? Um, look, it's it's always, I suppose, a, not a challenge, but it's. I've been doing it for however long I've been playing for Ireland now. It, you know, every time we come back from a November series or a, uh, or a Six Nations, you're you're into big games. So, you know, and a lot of guys who who spent time with Ireland uh, last Six Nations have done it for a long time, and you know, it's nothing new. You're expected to get back to speed and. You know, fit straight back in. You're you're one of the internationals, and you're supposed to be, um, you know, setting the standards. So it's, I wouldn't call it a challenge. To be honest, it's something that's expected of you. And finally, for me, uh, it's another Interpol this week against Leinster. There was obviously a Pro 14 final just there um, a while ago. Does that play into the build up this week, or is it literally just forget about that last game, move on to the next one? Oh, look, it's something that we have to review and. You go off your last, you know, performance against them, and and you know you certainly take into account the last game, and and you know prepares you for for what's coming up this weekend. You kind of expressed your disappointment after that final, and just outlined how difficult Leinster had made it for you, and you know, I suppose paid credit to them for their performance that night. What will you be looking to do differently uh, this weekend, and what do you need to do differently to to eventually get that win against uh, obviously your great rivals? Yeah, we. I think the biggest thing is we need we need more ball, and um, when we get the ball, we need to hold on to it. That's that's the main thing. You know, our, perc- our percentage of possession and, and territory was was very low. You've seen, you know, the, the games that we've played very well in. You know, we spent we spent time in the opposition's twenty two, obviously, and given ourselves a chat a chance to uh, you know to convert pressure to points and um, you know down to them and and down to us probably. Um, 
Peter O'Mahony chatting, of course, um, at this week's press conference. Um, that game is at 25 to 8 tonight and he returns following a tie injury. So that is Peter. Now we're also going to have a look back at Cove Ramblers are back in action tonight at St. Coleman's Park this evening as they host Bray Wanderers uh, looking to make a back-to-back wins following the win over Wexford last week. And Rory has been speaking to Ramblers defender Keen Murphy, but first assistant boss Declan Coleman. Take a listen. Yeah, and they, they play good football. Like we'll always do our bit of homework on the teams we're playing against them with such a small league anyway. You kinda you kinda know a lot about the teams, regardless of looking back on how they've played so far and that. But Bray will always be expected to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. That's what they'll expect from themselves. But looking at our own point of view, then we'd expect the same. So well well they'll be a tricky opponent, I've no doubt will be tricky as well for them. And it's about time now we started kinda making Comus Park a bit more of a fortress. So that'll be our aim, regardless of who we're playing against in the league and how they've gone on beforehand. We want to make sure that any team coming down to play us in Cove will know that they're in for a tough game and, and we'll be looking to get three points ourselves anyway. I mean, what was the most pleasing aspect of last week's win and what areas do you still have to improve on for this week? Well, the win itself is the most pleasing thing. To be honest, it wouldn't really matter too much whether it was a, a dirty, scruffy win or... You know, whether you win four or five nil, obviously when it comes to goal difference, things like that will matter. But at this stage of the season, as Chalky said earlier as well, just getting the win was important, especially just to get that kind of monkey off the back a bit as well. You know, not that we were worried, but, you know, people will talk and say, oh, you haven't won a game yet. This happened, that happened. So it was just nice to nice to get ourselves off the mark properly, really, with the three points, you know. Um, so we'll be hoping to, to build on that again, like... Do you think people maybe looked at that UCD result and kind of kind of jumped to assumptions about how good or bad you were this season? I think that's a that's a bit of a trend in the League of Ireland, to be honest. That one week you have a good result and a good performance, and you're going to win the league. You're going to get promoted. You know, same happens in the Premier Division. Teams are going to be qualifying for Europe the following week. Then uh, a bit of a sticky result or, or a, a less than pleasing performance and all of a sudden you're the worst team in the country you shouldn't even be playing League of Ireland football so it, it goes from one extreme to the other so from our own point of view we'll always just have to you know keep a, a bit of a level head with things like that and as I said earlier to Trevor we'll always analyse the opposition but we'll always analyse our own performance as well and whether we win 5-0 or lose 5-0 we'll always be looking for things to improve on so to be honest, it, it won't make too much of a difference what, what people think of our, our performance and our results as long as we're looking at getting the three points and if we can improve on that then every week with the, the little improvements in the performance then we'll be going somewhere at the end. Like, Keen, I might just ask yourself how are you settling into the, the core vendor squad? Oh, I'm loving it here. You know, um, since I come in, like, you know, I felt very welcome. You know, I know I'm shoe and deck from before really but I never really worked under them as a player. And, uh, you know, I'm enjoying it a lot. Same with the lads. I I kind of knew some of them barely kind of to talk to the odd team. But, you know, since I come in now, I feel very welcome. Like, and I feel very a part of it, you know. And uh, obviously, I'm in Cork playing, like, which is uh, far better for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying that too. Your third season now in League of Ireland football. How would you compare the standard of the Munster Senior League to the League of Ireland? Uh, yeah, look, obviously, John could ask that a lot, like, but... Uh, there is a step up, like, you know, and anyone that says there isn't is, is a liar, like, so, um, there's, there's talented players in the senior league, like, you know, and I think they can't commit the League of Ireland for whatever, like, you know, might be family reasons, work commitments, you know, they're, they're part of it too, like, so, 
Um, there is good players in the Munster Senior League, but the you know, League of Ireland obviously is a, a massive step up from the Munster Senior League. As Zach was saying there, you still have a bit to improve on heading into this week, but do you feel like you're improving week on week and it's kind of the win last week, the just reward for the effort you're putting in a training? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, we are. I think we are improving week on week, but uh, we need to stay on top of what we're improving on. Like, you know, we can't really uh, improve on one thing, we'd say, from two weeks ago to last week and then drop it all again this week. You know, we got to keep picking every step up along the way. Like, in somewhere along the line become you know is for want of it like a finished article you know uh, we need to keep improving and make sure that we're not making the same mistakes that we've made in the past Alright so Cove Wanderers are in action this evening in the SSE or Tristy League kickoff is at 7pm and we will have updates over on our Twitter page at the Big Red Bench so head over there this week now this lady I mean she is a woman of all trades she's a footballer um, Cork with footballers in the GA community and of course she plays as well for Shell so I caught up with her this week because she has something new on the horizon and it's great to support her in her new journey Saoirse Noonan welcome to the Big Red Bench Thank you very much Valerie Saoirse how is life for you at the moment training is back you know it's great Yeah um, it's different I suppose this year um, travelling up and down stopping for trainings um, two to three times a week and not having Gaelic football it's a bit of a a change but um, I can't complain I'm really enjoying it and I'm getting stuck in How are you finding the change? Like is it do you feel do you feel almost lost that you don't have the football? Um, I suppose at the moment no I suppose it's easier because the girls unfortunately for them weren't back um, until last week I think it was um, which I suppose gave gave myself a bit of time to, to focus in on the soccer and know that even if I was playing GA, I'd still only be going out to soccer training, so that made it a little easier. Um, but I'm sure as the girls start getting back on the pitch more and I start seeing it around, um, it'll get a bit harder. But look, it's a decision I've made and I'm I'm going to stick with it and I'm glad I've done it now. Good, well that's great. At least you are happy with the decision, the decision and there's no regrets there. But recently, you know, you're at Shells and you played Cork City. What was that like? Yeah, it was, it was different. Um, it was a bit daunting, I suppose. I obviously raised the pitch separate to the, the Shells girls because I, I only lived down the road. Um, and when I kind of went in, I walked onto the pitch thinking all the Shells girls would be out there. And it was all the Cork City girls in front of me. And I suppose it was a bit different that I wasn't I wasn't walking over to them. So it was kind of a quick turnaround back in because um, I knew they wouldn't really want to talk to me as much because it's a, obviously a big game for everyone. Um, but yeah, look, it was 90 minutes and I just had to focus on, on the game and not um, who I was playing against or anything. And, um, there was a few words I suppose spoke during the match and stuff um, but there was no bad blood afterwards and um, we were all friends after after the 90 which was nice and there was a nice there was a nice atmosphere and there was no bad blood so that was really nice to see That's good and it was also a historic day you know for the women getting in there and turning across Yeah definitely um, I was absolutely delighted I could have been I was still involved in that day um, and I can still say I played I played for the first game uh, which is huge and obviously something every Cork girl wants to do is go play in Hernage Cross so yeah I'm, I'm delighted when they get to have that as their home pitch because it's unbelievable and once the crowds start coming back now they'll get they'll definitely get bigger crowds than we used to get in Bishop Town because it's so near the city centre it's easy to get and a day in Hernage Cross is always, is always a good day yeah, and I mean, I think recently, I think because, you know, I think women's sports is really after coming into its own this year. I mean, I know COVID did a lot of negative things, but I think for women in sport and women's sport in Ireland, there was a lot of positives to it as well. Yeah, definitely. I think um, going back into the Women's National League this season, you see um, 
we had the same sponsors, the men's, um, you can watch all our games live. And we never had that before, which is a huge step. And obviously, COVID had a bit of negative impacts, but also there's positive because now because people can't come to the matches, they're at least able to watch them. Yeah. Um, and I know my grand and granddad definitely won't be travelling up and down to Dublin, don't be able to. And now they can, they can sit in their front room and still be able to watch me play, which, which is huge and it's really nice to see. And um, I think it's been going well so far, and everyone's been enjoying it. And um, I think definitely it's encouraging people to come out and watch it once they're able to now. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Good. Well, the reason um, I brought you on this week is because I was like, this lady now, right, she's really busy. She loves dipping into all the sports and she's chosen to focus on one this year. But you've also chosen to go down another kind of career route and you've decided to launch your own company, which is absolutely amazing. Freedom Official Clothing on Instagram is the name, if anyone wants to have a look. Tell us all about this. Tell us where the idea came from and tell us everything. I want to know about it. Um, yeah, I suppose when I was probably in... Um, sixth year going into first year college I always had kind of this idea that I'd work for myself and um, my name um, it's here Shannon in English it's Freedom for anyone that doesn't know so I just thought it was a cool name and I always used to kind of do designs and stuff and just just I suppose try try get my mind away from the pitch um, when you have such a busy schedule um, you're you're talking sport you're playing sport you're thinking sport 24-7 and it's it's hard to come away from that. Um, when you sit down and you watch your TV, you're watching sport. And um, I suppose this is kind of something that I was I looked at doing um, more so in the lockdown last year with my my bit of free time. I never really had had that time to sit down and do something for myself, um, and I just really enjoyed it. And then I suppose I did um, a bit of coaching and stuff and saved up and just said, um, look. I really enjoyed the coaching. It wasn't it wasn't even a job. And then I just said I loved I loved working for myself, and I was going to put all that money towards towards setting up my own little company that I've I've kind of dreamt of. Um, so yeah, it's all going great. And um, the website launched last Sunday, and since then I've been I've been sat out. But um, I love being busy, and I I hate kind of hanging around. And that's why I that's why I did it in lockdown to keep myself busy. And now I'm definitely busier than ever. And um, but again, I can't I can't complain. I I love it and. I hope it does take off um, and I'm just going to enjoy it and I'm not going to worry too much about it. And if it goes great, brilliant. If it doesn't, it's a learning curve and it's something that I can still say I, achieve, I achieved and I've done. So, um, yeah, enjoying the journey so far. Amazing with Saoirse Noonan they're launching her own company oh, Freedom Official Clothing t-shirts and hoodies are there at the moment so head online and have a look and support her she's been absolutely amazing and we can't wait to see what else she does but that is it for me tonight I will be back next Saturday from 6pm Rory is back tomorrow night in the bigger event she's got plenty of chats with the lovely amazing team athletes um, Ireland that you will see heading to the Olympics so it's absolutely going to be wonderful but on the way next is Stevie G the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m.